Your name and title, please. Kelly Wellman, Sustainability Director. When is the last time someone shamed you because you did not recycle something that you should have, and what was that item? That's a great question. And you know what? Nothing's coming to mind. I'm really good about recycling. You're that good. I'm pretty good as long as I'm in a community or a space where it can be recycled. And if it can't, I am one of those people that's going to take it home with me so that I can recycle it. Gosh, you really are good. Well, I try to do what I can when I can. Welcome to Brazos Matters. I'm Jay Sokol. I get to visit today with Kelly Wellman, the director of Texas A&M's Office of Sustainability. Kelly and I worked together at the city of Bryan from 2000 to 2007, where we created what industry-changing piece of communication, Kelly? Well, a, a water quality consumer report via a calendar. That's exactly right. That was kind of an innovative thing we did. It really was. It was a lot of fun. Very innovative. I agree. Because we made we made a very uh, typically boring piece of information fun. It's actually one of the kind of fun highlights that I remember from our time together there. Yeah. Yeah. It really was kind of a, a industry changer because uh, people didn't know that you could be funny in government. But <laughs> turns we, out you can. It turns out you can. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you for being here. I had to rely on LinkedIn to remind me the years that we worked together. And that's when I noticed that you came to A&M in March of 2008. And that's when A&M's Office of Sustainability was created, right? That's right. So happy belated 15th anniversary to your office. Thank you. It's, it's hard to imagine it's been 15 years. So what was being done on campus from a sustainability standpoint before you arrived? Well, the interesting thing is, I, I think that that depends how you view sustainability. I think that certainly, and, it, and this has changed actually in 15 years, but 15 years ago, if someone was being asked that question, the only thing that they would really think about unless they were really deep into this work would be recycling Mm. um, because that's kind of the gateway into sustainability. So if I look at it from that perspective and say 15 years ago, what was A&M doing? Well, we had our own recycling center and we were taking care of kind of the basic commodities like paper and cardboard and aluminum cans and uh, plastic bottles to a little bit lesser extent. And, And that was happening but sustainability is actually far more robust. So if you look at sustainability holistically, and we do, you are looking at things that are good uh, economically, you know, so they make good financial sense, right. that they are great for the environment or as good as they can be given, you know, our needs and demands of the environment, and that they're also good for people. So if you take all of those three things and look at A&M, well, we were doing all kinds of work. Um, consider... Things that might not originally come to mind would be transportation. You know, this is one of the largest bus transit systems in the nation and higher education, and that is to get students to, from, and through campus. And that has always been a really exceptional program, and that was something sustainability-related that was going on before me. And as certainly that group has grown and evolved. They have an entire alternative transportation, sustainable transportation unit now. Um, but if you ask me that you know, question today in a, in a different lens and say, what's, what's A&M doing? I can tell you much more detailed about the types of courses that are being taught, you know, the, hmm. the curriculum, the research. You know, this is a research and uh, R1 institution and 
the the faculty here are focused on not only teaching the the challenges of our time to our students to make sure that when they leave College Station, Texas A&M, that they go out into the world and are able to contribute in a sustainable way to their business, no matter what field or chosen industry that is. Um, Similarly, that the research that's happening here is also contributing to a better quality of life uh, for everyone. Hmm. So can you give me an idea of all the things, sort of the depth and the breadth of what you're office is all about and 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 why those things matter so you know we have a we we would like to think we're small but mighty so our office we have three full-time staff and um we rely heavily on students undergraduate students in particular to help spread our message but the things that our office does you know are kind of broken out into three big buckets one it's strategic planning for the institution so if you an outsider or even an insider wanted to say how sustainable is texas a&m that we have a way to point to and understand how we are being good stewards how we're being responsible and we do that through uh, strategic planning and then we do an annual assessment which is done through stars that stands for sustainability tracking and assessment rating system the STARS is uh, a tool of the Association of the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. And there are over 25 countries that use STARS. It is a North American tool, but it is an assessment that we do every year that looks holistically also at sustainability. So we are looking at academics, and that might be curriculum and research. We're looking at operations, which is kind of what most people think about, which is what is our performance with respect to waste and recycling? How about water consumption, energy use, energy consumption, greenhouse gas emissions? It's also looking at our institutional commitment through our policies and procedures, and then, you know, financial accountability. So STARS is extremely comprehensive, and our office is responsible for shepherding that document over 32 stakeholders help us compile the data. It's very extensive. If you were to download and look at the report, it's you know over 300 pages worth of information. Oh, wow. So that's one bucket. And then the second bucket really is the Aggie Green Fund. And that is where uh, we are using student fee dollars to seed different sustainability projects on campus so students, faculty, and staff can all apply for those. It's a student-led board that our office oversees and integrates and works with the student leaders, and then there are faculty and staff on that board as well. And then the third bucket is really all about the education and outreach, making sure that the students, the you know, the large student body here understands or has the opportunity to come and learn about what sustainability is in its holistic sense. And so our students are really the peer-to-peer campus ambassadors. So those are the three things our office does. And the underlying thing that happens in all of those is that it's incumbent on us to be connectors, to try to understand what's happening across the institution and make pieces work together. Is it easier or more difficult to to do this well, everything that you just described, and to rank high in stars uh, as a as an institution the size of Texas A&M or is it easier to accomplish uh, these things uh, productively as a smaller institution in your opinion well if a smaller institution had the resources for a staff of three it would be easier in that setting (laughs) right (laughs) Um, it, it is it is challenging at the same time there are some advantages to our size those being Um, staff to do the work to really kind of dive in. So um, interesting that you say that. We actually just hosted a statewide conference here 
and we had 12 other universities uh, on campus earlier this week. And some of those being smaller as even community college and then uh, ranging in scale to, of course, our uh, our friends down the road in Austin mm. and some of the campuses in Dallas. And so the, the larger institutions have same challenges and some of those bigger challenges where you kind of uh, have the difficulty of being large is that one, outreach to you know, say 68,000 plus students is very difficult when you have a small team. Yeah. Or our greenhouse gas emissions, our carbon footprint is just going to be large because we are large and it's much more difficult uh, to impact and influence those emissions. So it, you, you can't just give a blanket statement on that. It, you kind of have to look at it a little bit in, in sectors. But um, of course, we're proud to be part of Texas A&M, one of the largest uh, campuses in the nation to be doing this work here. But in terms of how you rate or rank nationally among other institutions in the country, uh, A&M ranks very high, performs very well, correct? We Yes, we do. It's And that's a tribute to all the work that's happening all across the campus. So we are a gold-rated institution. Uh, and to be gold, you have to score 65. We're at 69.8. Mm-hmm. Our ultimate goal, obviously, is to be a platinum institution, but that would mean getting up to 85 points. So it's a stretch goal. Uh, the stretch goal we've had for ourselves is to try to inch our way up to a, to a score of 75 to, to shorten the gap distance in between here and platinum. But, you know, if you look at our 15 aspirant peer institutions that we typically compare ourselves to academically, we are, you know, in the sixth slot. So not not too bad. Uh, we're doing quite well. And it's there aren't large gaps. So if we could hit that 75, which has been our internal goal, we'll be right there at the yeah. number one, number two spot. If you look in the SEC, and compare ourselves. We're we are the the top leader in sustainability in the SEC. Excellent schools. Yes. So, you mentioned the Texas Regional Alliance for Campus Sustainability Summit and the and the institutions that you hosted here. What what are some of the major issues that your profession is talking about right now? Everyone is. The, the larger schools have the similar challenges. They're interested in greenhouse gas emissions, what we're doing to curb greenhouse gas emissions. You're also seeing um, the the recognition that, so I've been doing this 15 years. Of course, I had a 12-year career in municipal government before this. So what I'm hinting at is I'm aging out and succession planning is really important. Right. And I'm seeing the same thing um, in my peer institutions. So there's a pretty good focus on, you know, basically cultivating the next wave of leaders. Um, so you've got greenhouse gas emissions, you have succession planning. Um, we're looking at different topics that have to do with, you know, the more exciting stuff like microgrids. You know, what, what is that going to look like as you start moving your campus to more of a, a smart campus type situation? Mm-hmm. And then some of the programming that happens on a campus to, to provide needs to the students. Um, for instance, I know that uh, one of our students who's now moved on and is working for Rice, so she was here presenting as A&M, but working for Rice, uh, the program here in Residence Life, because they're a very outstanding sustainability partner here is, for instance, the grocery give and grab, understanding that there is food security among our students that are living on campus and what that kind of programming does to help students who are in hunger, because you don't, hunger is not obvious. Right, right. No, I, that's a, it's interesting you brought that up. I've been somewhat aware 
of that maybe over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, that that, that sort of revealed itself, not uh, necessarily uh, just at A&M, but across the country. But that's an area where you guys are focusing as well. Our residence life group here is, yes. Yeah. Um, but, but food, you know, kind of intersects in other ways. There were a couple different talks on urban farms. Right. Because you're looking at, you know, how do you produce how do you get food more uh, closer to its source so that you can distribute it fresh food, fresh food? Yeah. Um, because there is, we on campus here have the uh, Tamu Urban Howdy Farm, which mm-hmm. is a hybrid of the Howdy Farm and what used to be just Tufu, which is uh, aeroponic vertical farm. Right. And they grow produce and donate it to the uh, 12th can so that anyone who's visiting the 12th can food pantry on campus can also have fresh produce. Yeah, those are great initiatives. So I'm sure every campus is different, but have sustainability habits among Aggies changed much in these past 15 years and and even extending into the broader community? Have you seen changes in, in those habits? Absolutely. I was alluding to that a little bit earlier when I said if you had asked me 15 years yeah. ago about the, the question. I've seen tremendous change in the students. So... As an example, we have our internship program where students basically become our peer ambassadors. And when we were interviewing for students, you know, 10, 12 years ago to come into that program and you would ask them, what is sustainability? Their definition, it it was a struggle for them maybe sometimes to understand it and they could understand recycling. That was still their their go-to point. That is not the case of a student coming to Texas A&M right now. And our students are are coming in and and we're not talking about seniors or juniors we're talking about freshmen in fact i had an email this morning from an incoming student she'll be here uh, in the fall and she asked if she was eligible to apply for her internship for the fall semester even though she's not technically a student and and the applications due monday so these students have just a much stronger base knowledge about sustainability and it's not just rooted in that environmental space they understand that this is about quality of life for all people and that has been a dramatic shift when we started the aggie green fund in the early days you know it was and we still do to this extent fund recycling bins because the infrastructure is expensive and not everyone can afford it and the university doesn't centrally provide it so we still support recycling bins it's been interesting though to see the shift in the types of asks for programs that come through the green fund and you know so Back in the early days, everything was recycling, and then we started to see this shift in understanding. I like to tell the story because, you know, obviously I'm I'm a really a public works person at heart, and, right. and garbage in particular is my one of my passions, and then water is my other passion. Um, and I'm not a morning person, and this was many, many years ago. And, um, well, when I say I'm not a morning person, I'm actually a morning person. I'm just very introverted. So I, I'm not a really big talker. I'm right with away. you. <laughs> yeah. We're aligned. Right. So I was in a Starbucks and, you know, sometimes they want to be really friendly. And that sometimes takes work if it's, you know, 7 a.m. And it, I was surprised when the young person behind me started kind of listening in on the conversation because the barista had asked, oh, I was wearing an A&M shirt. Where do you work? And also sustainability is kind of a weird word at least it was back then mm-hmm. and they were and so i'm used to when someone say where do you work i say office of sustainability and they give you a really puzzled confused look like and and, and i always appreciate when someone would say well what is that you yeah. know just go ahead and ask what is that and i was preparing that morning 
to answer the same question um, about what sustainability is in a way that's not completely boring. And when I said it, the barista just totally lit up and said, oh, my gosh, I love all these water bottle stations you're putting on campus. And that was the first really marked shift. And I would say that was probably in about 2011, 2012. So that was when I, you know, it's that qualitative kind of shifting of a needle and an understanding. It's still environmentally focused, but someone could understand it as something different. And and it's just grown from there to to different types of understanding to whether that's food security or gardening or um, other programs that help uh, people perform at their optimum. Yeah. If you just tuned in, I'm Jay Sokol. You're listening to Brazos Matters, and my guest is the director of Texas A&M's Office of Sustainability, Kelly Wellman. So, Kelly, since we're having this discussion during Earth Month, what does Earth Month look like at Texas A&M University? We have lots of exciting opportunities. Um, so we've COVID's kind of changed the way we do some of our business, and and I think for the good in this case. Earth Month used to be you would come out to a campus Earth Day. And for us this year, that will be Wednesday, April 19th from 10 to 2 in Rudder Plaza. It should be a lot of fun. And in fact, this year we're uh, really excited because we'll also have a farmer's market sponsored by Aggie Dining. So you'll have some local farmer vendors get get an opportunity to get some of that fresh produce. We'll have educational tables out there where you've got student organizations, campus departments, and sometimes the cities are also participants there. But in addition to that, we're going to have um, a, a performance during the lunch hour by Artichoke Dance Company. They work on environmental efforts. And then the, I think the real the real fun will be that Miss Rev, Lady Revely, is mm. going to be there from 11 to 11.45 at a photo booth. So um, that would be normally what Earth Month looks like. But since COVID, we, we've taken it from Earth Day to Earth Month, and now we have these different learning opportunities. So we, hers, ho- we will be hosting four different virtual talks, um, sustainability.tamu.edu. If you look down in the bottom left of that page, you'll see our events. They'll be on the calendar and you can see the variety of topics. And those talks are given by our students that are in our program, usually driven by one of their own personal passions and of course vetted and researched throughout the semester so that they're giving really good information. Um, but it's a way to learn from uh, from your peers about different issues that are impacting the, the entire world. Um, so virtual talks, the chance to come out to the event on the, the 19th. And then we actually have a big fun awards breakfast. It is a kind of a, you need an invitation to it, but we will give out sustainability champion awards. And then we give out awards to all of our stars members, the ones who help us compile that annual assessment, uh, who hit different milestones. Yeah. So that awards breakfast is that, that same week as Tuesday, the 18th in the morning. And in case anybody's listening to this, after those scheduled events, they could still go learn more at the um, web address that you gave. Was it sustainability.tamu.edu? Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm glad, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because we we do drawings and giveaways, right? So if you attend um, different events throughout that happen throughout the month, you can earn entries into a big giveaway and those prizes usually go over pretty well they're pretty nice they're designed to incentivize you to attend so the more times you attend the more chances your name's going to be drawn out of the bucket that drawing um, all entries close april 24th and we'll do a live drawing on instagram april 28th to see the winners all right so you mentioned a, a few minutes ago that that one of the 
the challenges for you and some of your peers is that you are beginning to age out and you're trying to cultivate this next generation of leaders and innovators in the field of sustainability. I don't know how much longer you feel like you have left in this particular role, but what are some things that you really feel like you you need to get done for Texas A&M in this community? Ooh, that's the big one. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I'm hopeful because this is such a fantastic community, but the thing that really needs to get done and the thing that's looking us in our face has to do with our climate. Mm. And... You know, the, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, has been issuing different reports every couple of years. And if you don't know much about what that IPCC looks like, you know, there's over 400 scientists from around the world that have to come together and agree. And this isn't consensus. This is like full agreement on the statements that are made in the reports, which, you know, if you've worked with a few researchers, you know that full agreement is a challenge. But imagine doing that with 400. Yeah. So... And essentially, the IPCC just released a new synthesis report back on March 20th, so less than a month ago. And that report from the IPCC basically said um, that climate change is unequivocally us, there's no doubt, and that we have to act now. And the UN Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, and his quote was, um, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. Hmm. Obviously, a little bit of play there. Sure. Um, but that's, that is the, that's what I see as the really important drive for us. I, you know, we want to see a successful, prosperous Aggie land for us, but also for our grandchildren. And that means that we have to look at these issues that circle around climate change and how we contribute to be the global leaders that we need to be. And I'll say we're starting to make some really good, uh, because greenhouse gases are so difficult when you look at a campus our size, um, one really, I think, important step that we've moved in that direction is 20% of our energy is now coming from solar uh, in the Samson Solar Field up in the North Texas region. Hmm. So 50 megawatts of renewable energy is a really nice dent into what we're doing. Yeah. So I, you may be happy to know that in checking out your website ahead of our talk, that I did go and look at last year's report that's up there, which is fascinating because there's all kinds of interesting information there. And so a few highlights and some stats caught my attention. And, and so I'm going to throw a few of those out and you can react to those and, and tell, me, tell me more about them. That more than 71% of waste was diverted from our local landfill through recycling, composting, donation, and reuse. That seems pretty significant. And, and that 90% of all construction and demolition waste produced by A&M was diverted from the landfill. Holy cow, Kelly. Well, if I didn't make this obvious earlier, we do our work through our partners. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> um, but yes, when, you know, there's definitely control in a construction site where you can put in some parameters and expectations for those contractors. And 91% is pretty good. I think that, you know, we have some some hope that it could be 95%. Uh, you can't be perfect, but that that's doing pretty well. And as far as diversion, you know, there's a lot of incentive for us to divert Brazos Valley Recycling, which is now actually big, Brandon Industrial Group, which is really only a few miles down the road if yeah. you, you just head out Raymond Stotzer and head toward Somerville. Um, so that compared to driving out to the landfill, the windshield time 
is significantly different. So if we can haul waste four miles versus, you know, over 28 miles round trip, it's uh, much more efficient to do that. So there's a lot of economic incentives for us to be really good stewards. And so the economic helps drive that. And I, I, there's still opportunities for growth and improvement, uh, but I'm pleased that we are where we are at right now. Yeah. A couple other things I spotted there. Even though full-time equivalent students, faculty, and staff increased by almost 52%, and gross floor area of building space increased 136%, that A&M has reduced potable water use on campus by 58% since 1991. How in the world? Right? <laughs> Those numbers are pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, th- those were some some big infrastructure changes, for instance, the golf course coming off of our potable water system made an improvement as did um, having the fire school come off of our potable water Mm. system. So those were really big drivers. And then of course, when you just start looking at making sure that you've got good maintenance and infrastructure plans in place for your uh, transmission distribution lines. What stats or what things stand out to you that maybe I didn't mention that you think is really compelling? So I don't remember the exact number right now. I think it's 28%. This just but our growth has been so wild these last few years. Mm-hmm. So, um, but our our energy consumption really, in the face of how much growth the campus has experienced, our energy consumption has dropped considerably since the 2002 baseline, and that is really a testament to the work from the utilities energy services folks over there their leadership in replacing outdated equipment, uh, installing a combined heat and power plant. That was a really significant contributor. And even though natural gas is not a renewable, it does burn cleaner and it improves our greenhouse gas emissions significantly. So, you know, they've made a lot of steps to really um, balance out the, the rapid growth that we've incurred and to be as efficient as possible with how the on-campus plant runs, how they make decisions about buying on the grid versus self-generation and things like that. That's always a really big one. Yeah. Okay, so we have uh, just a, a minute or so left. I want to find out, are you an e-scooter person? Are you, uh, are you part of that community? And are you all about getting people out of their cars and into uh, alternative transportation modes? I have not been on one of the e-scooters. I'm a little bit clumsy, so they make me a little bit nervous. <laughs> it is amazing, though, to see uh, the numbers, and I wish I had thought to bring some of those. The, the sustainable transportation folks could blow you away with the numbers of people riding those e-scooters, especially when they look at the numbers on game days right. and when we have lots of folks on campus like we will for Parents Weekend. Uh, it's, it's been incredible, um, the experience that the, the students have had and the impact, and we are certainly one of the, one of the larger users of that uh, in the na- in the nation. So, I, I am fully support getting out of the car and try to do that as much as possible. I, I walk quite a bit. Um, biking is also get you there faster, maybe a little bit less sweaty. Since I'm fairly new to campus, uh, I have to have my head on a swivel because there are kids coming at me. In every sort of way. But it's also delightful because um, they're moving around in ways that don't involve a car or a truck. And so it's kind of fun. 
Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for this visit. Really appreciate it. It was great catching up with you. I don't know if we've seen each other much at all in the past 15 years, but it's so good to finally catch up and have a conversation. It was my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Jay. You bet. Brazos Matters is a production of Aggieland's Public Radio 90.9 KAMU-FM, a member of Texas A&M University's Division of Marketing and Communications. Our show is engineered and edited by Matt Dittman. You can learn more about us at kamu.tamu.edu slash radio. All the archives for Brazos Matters can be found on our website. Again, that's kamu.tamu.edu slash radio. Or you can email me anytime with questions or comments about this show. Jay Sokol, J-A-Y-S-O-C-O-L at tamu.edu. Thanks for listening.